0: My name is Christina, and as a child I was sexually abused and later raped and um, continued to experience trauma, abandonment. I lost both of my parents as a teenager, um, three months apart, which led to dysfunctional households, and all of those households were accompanied with physical or emotional abuse. And that all led me down a pretty dark path um, as a young adult, a path filled with unhealthy relationships, disappointments, terrible decisions, unspeakable acts, depression, anxiety, and even attempts at suicide amongst many other things. So at some point I reached a time in my life where I knew that I needed a change and I wanted to change, but I was so full of regret and shame and anxiety and um, you know wondering often who could even love me because I was so broken. I eventually started going to church because it was the only thing that I could think to do. I heard about Celebrate Recovery one Sunday and decided to go. I didn't know then that my life would never be the same again. I started a journey, a very, very long journey of healing. I spent so much of my life trying to think that if I could change this thing or change that thing or get this in order or get that in order that, you know, everything would fall into place and that I had to do all these things to make certain things right. Before anything was right, and I learned through Celebrate Recovery that the only change I needed was a change in my heart, and that was to open my heart for God. It's only through letting God in that I was able to heal, forgive, and love myself, not just for who I was becoming, but for who I had been and who I am now. I wouldn't change anything about my life, including my past, because it's through my transformation and my journey that I'm able to see how truly blessed and loved that I am. Who am I to tell God that His plan for my life isn't good enough? His plan is more than I ever could have dreamed for myself. Thank God He's a God for the broken.
1: That right right there is why I love this church and why I'm so thankful to be part of it. Because God is telling that kind of story, it's an epic tale, of, uh, uh, you just only God can tell those kind of stories in a life. And over the next um, few weeks together, we're going to hear more of those stories, some more dramatic, some less dramatic, but all of them the same, and I just want to let you know that I don't care who you are or where you are at your life in this point, you have the opportunity to have that kind of story be told in your life like never before because we're going to be talking about the power and the love of Jesus and its ability to transform us. And all of us need some change in 2016. That's why we're here. So welcome. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. And I got to meet some of you for the first time. I know you're brand new here. Welcome. Some of you came on Christmas Eve and you now you're back or whatever. Great. Glad you're here. You're coming in at a great time. We've got to clear something up before we get started here. I just want to say thank you to those of you who've gone out of your way to console me Um, We got to talk about the Minnesota Vikings just briefly here before we get started. Um, So, yeah, the, 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 the cards, the letters, the emails, thank you, even the snide, sarcastic ones. It really means so much that you're reaching out to me. So if you don't know what's going on, if you missed it, let me just tell you, you're not the only one who missed something, okay? So the big deal is the Minnesota Vikings made it to the playoffs, which, you know, by the way, isn't something you can say about anyone. Anyway... So we're in the playoffs, and we were playing the Seahawks last week, and we had the game sewed up. We, were, we, were, we won the doggone thing, and the last thing, all we do is kick a field goal. Our kicker's Blair Walsh. He comes out. He kicks um, really consistently all the time. All he has to do is make a little chip shot through the uprights, 20 yards away. My grandmother could do it blindfolded, but Blair Walsh misses it wide left by a mile. Everyone groans and can't believe it, and they're ready to kill the guy, and we lost. But I'm over it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Actually, you know, the Vikings get a new stadium next year, so we don't have to play outdoors. And uh, notice they'd actually put the new goalposts up already in the new stadium. Here's the goalposts in the new stadium. (laughs) So we should be in good shape next year. No more worries for the Vikings. With that goalpost, you know, I got to thinking about it. You know, in all seriousness, it's such a brutality to this. You know, it's like one minute he's a hero, and the next minute he's a goat. Everybody wants to string him up, run him out of town. Blair Walsh, this, and ah, oh, he's a terrible guy. Here's a here's a picture of that dejected moment right after he missed that kick. Isn't that a sad picture? Can you you kind of identify with the guy's head's down, his shame filled, and he's walk. You know what that's like, isn't it? You know, you you've disappointed yourself. You've disappointed a lot of other people who are counting on you. We know what that's like. He goes over and sits on the bench all by himself. That's tough. What I loved was not only his response, but I loved is a friend of mine in the church named Kevin Bradley. And uh, I loved what he had to say. He talked to me on Monday. He said, Ben, I ordered my number three Vikings jersey, my Blair Walsh jersey. I ordered a Blair Walsh jersey. I said, well, they're probably on sale. He said, no, 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 no. He says, no, no, not, not for that. He says, I'm going to wear it proudly because he says, even though some people are always going to try to look at this guy as this is his thing now, they're going to brand him as the failure. He's the wide left guy. He's the guy who blew it. He says, you know what? That's not fair. That's not, what, that's not the end of the story. I'm not just talking about sports, he says, because I just my heart goes out to him because that, that, that's my life. I'm that guy. And because of Jesus, my failures have not defined me. And I've seen what the God of second chances can do in a life. And then he said this, I've missed some big kicks in my life, Ben, and God bought my jersey anyway. I love that. So ladies and gentlemen, here it is. The Blair Walsh jersey. And I'm going to wear it proudly right now. You know what? I'm not wearing it because I'm a Viking fan today. I'm wearing it because I'm just like Blair Walsh and so actually are you. Because, you know what? I'm a guy who needs a God of second chances just as much as you do. This is the jersey that fits all of us. I know some of you would never be caught dead in it. (laughs) But I'm talking about the fact that you've missed some stuff wide left too, haven't you? You know, and the Bible actually has a word for sin. The definition of sin is to miss the mark. And we are all so far from down the center of God's perfection and will and beauty and love and grace, aren't we? This is a jersey that fits every single one of us because it turns out Blair Walsh is just like the rest of us, people who need the God of second chances. Isn't that right? Now I know that as we start into this whole thing, some of you are wondering if there really is a God like that. You're not sure. Some of you have heard about it your whole life. Some of you are hearing it for the first time today. But all of us probably wonder if it's really true and if it could be true for me. Is there a God for the rest of us? Or is God pretty much a God for the other people who make most of their kicks or all their kicks? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. We're calling it God for the rest of us because it turns out God doesn't give up on anybody. God's got grace for everybody. God loves and has a soft spot for sinners like us and there's nobody beyond the grace of God. God is for you and me pretty good feeling when you don't feel like your life looks that way. weird as it may sound, I, I'm going to like to read you a poem now. A guy in a football jersey reading you a poem. But I think you're going to like it. It's Lucy Shaw. You ought to read everything she writes. Uh, it's a poem called Conversion. Here it is. He was a born loser. Accident prone too. Never won the lottery. Married a girl who couldn't cook broke his leg the day before the wedding and forgot the ring. He was the kind who ended up behind a post in almost any auditorium. Planes he was booked to fly on were delayed with engine trouble with sickening regularity. His holidays at the beach were almost always ruined by rain. All his apples turned out wormy. His letters came back marked MOVED, NO ADDRESS. And it was his car that was cited for speeding from among the flock of others going 60 and a 55. So it came as a real shocker when he found himself chosen by God to be loved. Chosen by grace for salvation. And he felt the exhilaration for the first time of undeserved and unexpected joy And he tasted for the first time the glory of being on the winning side. I love that. It's a pretty good description of how God seeks and finds us and how amazing it is to figure out there really is a God for the rest of us. You know what it's like to feel like the outsider, right? You know this comedian Tim Hawkins, we've had him here several times. How many of you know who Tim Hawkins is? If you don't know, you ought to go YouTube him. He's hilarious. Have you ever seen that bit he does about getting on the plane and who's on the plane? You know what I'm talking about? Apparently not. You need to watch it. Here you go. Watch the screen. Watch the screen. I, I fly a lot. I go to a lot of airports and stuff. They always, you know, and they, they do the, the announcements for getting on the plane. It's always the same, like, first class people, you're welcome to born first class. First class, sky elite status, sky team, sky members, one world alliance members, platinum plus, platinum first class. Glut. All the successful people, go ahead and get on the plane right now. If you've ever done anything with your life, thank you for being born. We love you all. Please get on the plane at your leisure we'd like to continue boarding with the unwashed masses the unwashed masses all you gypsies tramps and thieves it's your turn to put your shoes on and grab whatever you travel with grab your chickens and your milk crates it's your turn to get on (laughs) that's us honey (laughs)
0: we're gonna fly on the earth we're gonna go real high
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah So, yeah, you wonder sometimes, is this whole God thing just for those other people who seem to somehow have their act more together than I do, who morally kick them through the uprights, the people who, if God had a plane, would be in those big fancy seats when you, if, if you ever get on, they're already there drinking a Diet Coke with a smug look on their face. The title of the series coming from a book, written by a friend of mine and a friend of a lot of ours, actually. His name's is Vin Dancinucci, great guy. The book is called God for the Rest of Us. It's an amazing book because he tells his own story. He's had a really wild, wacky, upside-down life, and God flipped his script just like he did that girl in the video you saw, just like he can and wants to do in every one of our lives. I don't care how normal or crazy your life may seem, God's ready to flip the script and tell a story only he can tell. And God for the Rest of Us is a great book for someone who doesn't believe that God is for them. And Vince is going to be here in a few weeks and uh, you're going to love hearing from him and uh, you're welcome to buy the book. It's for sale out there today. And uh, you know what? It's, It's for people who know we need a change and it's for people who don't think we do. And it's, in other words, for Pharisees and sinners alike. That's all of us. And I want to mention... I want to mention that this is a perfect time for us to be going through this because there's a real connection here with um, our Celebrate Recovery ministry who this first part of the year, we're going to be celebrating our 10th anniversary of Celebrate Recovery of Changed Lives here at Mountain, which is amazing. A lot of amazing stories, and you're going to hear some of those coming out of Celebrate Recovery, but if you don't know about CR, it's an amazing group of raw and real people who get together in a safe and comfortable and confidential environment just to come and bring whatever hurts, habits, hang-ups, and find the help hope, and healing of God through Jesus and the confidence with each other. It's an amazing group, and there's a great stories. There's all kinds of different groups, and you'll hear about that in the coming weeks. Get on our website and check it out. CR is for everybody. It's not just people with alcohol and drugs. It's for, for all, all, any kind of thing. It's codependency, anything, can just get, to get real and get some help. And we've been changing lives for 10 years, and we just hope that um, this ministry is going to really grow forward as well and so it's a good fit with this series as well. Hey, and, and some of you, maybe I can just say straight up, Some of you need to just start praying really fervently for that ministry, that it would do what what only it can do. Some of you need to bring, you know someone that needs to be there, and you just bring them. Anyone can come. It's Friday nights. Just bring them. Okay? Here on Edge, you know, just find a way and bring them. Some of you need to, some of you, it's, it's you and you know it. Everyone around you knows it and you know it, that you need to be there yourself. Just to sort of just, check into how things might be different for you. Maybe 2016 is the year where you, you will experience the power and the love in that combination coming together in your life and things will be different. Maybe that's, maybe that's you and this is your year. So God is for the rest of us. Now, this whole series is important because I think it's a chance for us to get our heads on straight. A lot of people are screwed up about what, what God does and what He doesn't do. And what he, who he is and what he isn't like. A lot of people are messed up on this. So we, sometimes it helps to go back to the basics. You know, that basic, you see it at ball games, John 3, 16. It reminds us what God does. God so loved the world, all the people, that he gave his only son. That's why Jesus came. That whoever, anyone, 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 even the person next to you, anyone, if they would believe and trust in this Jesus, they would not have to ever die or they, they, would, they would have eternal life with Jesus. That's what God does. He loves everyone. The next verse, John 3, 17, reminds us what God doesn't do. It says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. God doesn't condemn but that the world through him might be saved. God doesn't condemn because you know it doesn't doesn't get him where he really wants to go, and that is to connect with us. And you know what? It's funny is that a lot of people today who seem to act like they operate in God's name are in the condemnation business, but it doesn't get God's mission where God wants to go. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, so God's people don't need to go into the world to condemn the world. That's not why we're here. I love this verse in, John, in Luke 15. It says this. One time, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners were, were like flocking around Jesus in large numbers. Now, tax collectors, of course, would be like the way of saying like the worst sinners of all. Right? Because, you know, the Roman oppressors came in, they were making everyone worship Caesar, and they would come in and they'd kill a bunch of Jews, and then they would tax them to death, you know, and use that money to build up their army to do it again to the next Jewish village. And then they would hire some of the Jews to go raise those taxes. And some of those guys would cheat and line their own pockets. You know, These tax collectors, man, they, they cheated on their people. They denied God. And they were the scum of the bottom of the barrel. They were shorthand for saying the worst of the worst. And these were the people and all the other sinners, the tax collectors, they flocked to Jesus. Why isn't it that way today? People who are far from God, the last place they'll ever want to go is near God because they think what they're going to hear, we think what we're going to hear is something we don't want to hear. But in Jesus' day, as it turns out, everywhere he went, the tax collectors and sinners stuck to him like a magnet. It's because he said and brought a new way of understanding God that religious people, even to this day, don't seem to understand and don't seem to accept. And some of us haven't accepted it yet. because it's not the way religious talk sometimes has taught us to think. People wanted to be around Jesus the most. We're sinners. Because Jesus didn't make them feel worse. He made them feel loved. Because Jesus understood something that a lot of us don't get, and that is the power of love. Guilt and shame has no power. It doesn't change anybody. Condemnation doesn't change anybody. The power of love does change someone. The power of God's love is the most powerful thing in the world. As Vince says, the way you change a life is not by judging people, but by embracing them. Not by pointing out their sins, but by pointing out the way toward hope. Jesus was filled with grace and truth, and He always led with grace, and then people could receive truth. And so, in our time, in this day, in this room, you know what that means? It means that God is for us. God is for The world, God is for abortion doctors and God is for bisexuals and pornographers and prostitutes and gays and gossips and liars and cheats and gluttons and dropouts and thugs and addicts and boring people with no goals and self-righteous people who might even be seated in this room who don't think their name's on that list. Some of us are all hung up about what I just said because you're insulted by... Labeling those things as sins. Some of you are all hung up because you think it's too good to be true. Like you're wondering if that could really be true for you. Because you know better. You know that God really wouldn't love you. Some of you think, well, maybe God could be for those people if they stopped being, you know, stopped their sinning. And you're wondering, maybe if I, but I, I don't know if I can stop my sinning or if I want to stop my sinning. So you're afraid to say yes to God because you don't want to be a hypocrite. And you think not being a hypocrite is somehow better. Or you think, Do I, don't I have to obey Jesus for him to love me? So we're all hung up for a lot of reasons. Some of us are stuck on that idea. You hear, God's for abortion, and, uh, doctors and uh, bisexuals and pornographers and prostitutes. And you think, oh yeah, well, you know, I don't know. This is making it too easy. This is soft sell. There's these candy coating things there, isn't he? We're all usually in one of those camps or the others, but you know, all of us, sinners and Pharisees alike, we all need Jesus and He wants to change our story. What what are some of the reasons that you find it hard to believe that God loves you? Just be honest. Why do you sometimes refuse to believe that God is for the rest of us, even you? Some of us, maybe you've ignored Him so long or kept Him kind of at a distance. You feel like maybe he's just taking you off his Christmas mailing list by now. You wouldn't even recognize him if you ran into each other at Walmart, right? You just kind of, he's out there. Or maybe you think because of something that's happened in your life or something God didn't do, you think he's a jerk. He wouldn't even go to dinner if he did call. Or maybe you've missed some moral field goals in life, which you're sure he's disgusted with. It's a coach over there shaking his head because of that divorce or because you've said or done things or been caught up in things or, or things have happened to you, then you believe those words about yourself and that shame is all grown up inside your heart. Open your Bible. I want to introduce you to somebody. Luke chapter 7. Luke is one of the guys that tells the life story of Jesus. Luke chapter 7. While you're looking, let me remind you about something that happened to me in second grade. Charlie Baker was my friend. We walked, to, we walked home from school together every day. And it was in Minnesota. And I'll tell you, it was cold. Walking home from school, Minnesota's cold. I said it was cold. It was so cold the politicians had their hands in their own pockets. That's how cold it was. So Charlie Baker and I, Charlie and I were buddies. We were walking home from school and uh that it was just you know being friends like that. And uh the next day in school, uh one day, Eddie comes up to me and says, Hey, are you going to Charlie's birthday party Saturday? First I'd heard of it. I just said uh no, no, I, I can't go. I, I got something. I, I can't go. But I wanted to go. Because Charlie was having a little party, some of his closest pals, and I wasn't on that list. And I didn't feel very good. You know what that's like, don't you? Stings. Things more in high school, things just as much as an adult, and it can make you feel mad or sad or whatever. And I know that some of you feel that way about God. Like, if you had a party, you probably wouldn't be on the list, and that's why you're mad or sad. If there is a God, friend says to me, if there is a God and He really offers relationship, if there is a God and He really does take some of, them, some of His people to be in heaven with Him, I don't think that would include me. So with that backdrop, we go to Luke chapter 7 and there were two primary groups of people in this story and in their culture in ancient Jewish society. there were Pharisees and these were the people who were the religious elite. They were the law keepers and the law makers and they believed purity in God was something to take very seriously. And so they meticulously kept every religious law and right of purification because if you kept your distance from the world and kept yourself clean and pure, that's how you would be holy. And the Pharisees were very powerful and everyone sat in awe at, at them. And so there was a huge problem because this Jesus guy comes along who keeps identifying himself as being from God and yet he's hanging around sinners all the time, like hanging out with them. And Jesus, actually the worst thing they could think of calling him was, he's a friend of sinners. Because that was their way of saying, he's obviously not from God because if he was, he would keep his distance from scum like that. And so Luke chapter 7. Pick it up about verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. I think it's like, dude, Sam, why don't you have a party and let's get this rabble-rouser Jesus over here and we'll see if we can catch him in a, in a lie or something. Yeah, invite him over for dinner. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. Jesus is an equal opportunity friend. doesn't matter who you are. Verse 37, when a certain immoral woman, code probably for the town prostitute, from that city heard he was eating there, She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume and then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them with her hair and then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he was really from God, he would know this woman who's touching him that she's a sinner. And the implication is he'd, he'd say, get out of here. And they're, they're all upset. So, back up a minute and kind of feel the tension of that moment. This is Pharisees having a dinner. This is what they did. They got together and they would always go through a, a big a series of ritual uh, purification rites and washing their hands, not to get the dirt off, but to sort of get the, the dirt of the world, if you will, off of them before they sat down to eat. And they had already done that and there they are with their feet extended behind them as they kind of reclined on an elbow around the table and they would begin their, their discourse uh, over the main course, which meant they would have these big theological discussions. And so the townspeople would come. The homes were kind of open and you could come and kind of sit on the porch, as it were, and listen in. You know, they're not home, you know, with anything to do. They're not watching Real Wives of Jerusalem or whatever like that. They're, they're there, they're there kind of getting their entertainment by listening to the Pharisees discuss, and it's going to be extra good because Jesus is there at dinner that night, and word traveled quickly, and Jesus kept saying things about how he was a friend of sinners, so some of the riffraff are showing up now on the porch listening in to the Pharisees. And maybe they were there because there might be a fight breakout because there was a little tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. They wanted to see what was going to go on. And then in the middle of that, as they're chatting and sitting there and we're talking, this woman, this woman. I mean, everybody knows who she is. It's not like we don't know. And she walks she walks over the threshold into the holy space where all these religious people are. Right in the, Can you see her? that leather skirt too tight who does she think she is way too short embarrassing pumps big hoops on the ears too much lipstick and mascara hair down to here everyone's eyes are as big as frisbees Like this is not gonna end well they're watching her watching the Pharisees watching Jesus what's gonna happen She should know better. I mean, her sin is public. So she's a scourge on the city. And just by walking into the room, she'd already ruined the ritual purity. As soon as they kick her out of there, they're going to have to wash their hands and start all over again. But it's as if she can't help herself because something has happened in her. Something has happened that's more important than the external things she's been doing with her body. Something's been happening in her life and her heart. She's got this alabaster jar of perfume, probably something she used in her trade to kind of make herself a little more attractive. I don't know. But now it's her also her life savings. Something has changed in her and Jesus is now her great treasure, most valuable to her. And so she breaks the jar, not to unscrew the lid and put a little dab out. She breaks it open. There's no going back and spills the contents in a lavish act of worship and gratitude and love, sobbing, Sorrowful and grateful at the same time, maybe? And she doesn't have a sham wow with her, so she uses her tresses of her hair. Women in public never let their hair out of their bun, but they did she did. Scandalous, but she doesn't care. She doesn't care anymore what anyone thinks. All she cares about is she's going to take a risk that this rabbi Jesus was different, that what he was saying about God might be true. It wasn't the same as what they were saying about God. She dared to believe it might be true, and so she came and she fell at his feet, sobbing and kneeling there. And each of us has the opportunity to do the same thing because we're just like that woman. Your sin may not be that public. But you have an opportunity to take a risk that Jesus just might be onto something about a God for the rest of us. Now the Pharisees, they're upset. They're ticked off like, oh boy. They, can, they don't say anything. They're thinking it. But horrifying thought is this. Jesus actually knows what we're thinking. Great. So he says to them, he says, I know what you're thinking. Can I tell you a story? And the Pharisees say, go for it. He says, okay, there's two guys. One owes a million bucks. The other owes 50 bucks to the same guy, but neither of them can pay. The man forgives both debts. Now which one do you suppose loved the man more? The one who was forgiven a million bucks or the one who was given 50 bucks? The Pharisee says, well, probably the one who was forgiven a million bucks. Right on. And see, it's not that you haven't been loved a million times. It's not that you haven't been forgiven a million dollars worth. It's just that you don't know it. You don't think you need it. But that woman did. Maybe you do. And that's why she came with an expression of worship and thanks. Why, why do you suppose she was willing to take that risk? Why might you be willing to take that risk? Why might I? We don't know what happened that day, but I think that woman maybe heard Jesus say something that she had really taken to heart. Now, over in Matthew's gospel, if you do trace the chronology, you can figure out that same day Jesus said some words that I bet she needed to hear, and I know some of us Right here, right now, I need to hear these words. That same day, over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, listen to this. Let this minister to you. Come to me, Jesus says. All you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you... You can find rest for your soul. Some of us need rest for our souls. What a good word. Can you imagine how it would make that woman feel? This woman who'd grown up with so much condemnation and shame and just become to believe that's who she's always going to be. Shame didn't set her free. Guilt doesn't set anyone free. The love and the power of Jesus can set someone free. Come to me, Jesus said, a yoke. He says, yoke yourself with me. Yoke is a farm implement that linked animals together. Some of us have been trying to plow our way through life, and it's hard, and it's burdensome, and it's not working, and you're weary, and you're worn down. And Jesus says, well, you let you yoke yourself to me. It's easier that way. Yoke yourself. He wants to connect to us in a relationship, and your life will be easier. It won't make everything salt, peaches and cream, but you'll have a life that has rest. And I think that we need to hear that. I think that woman heard that. Maybe like her, you're ready to come to the Lord and you're ready to recognize what she did, that God is a God for the broken. Each week as we look at God for the rest of us, we're going to look at an aspect of that truth. And this weekend, as we, I just want to share a few thoughts about this God for the broken like that woman was. Just like that vial she broke as a symbol of her broken life that now she placed at the feet of Jesus as those shards of glass were there. I hope you are ready to bring whatever part of you is broken, maybe your whole life is broken, to the feet of Jesus and trust that He can put it back together like He did for that woman. I want to talk for a minute uh, in other weeks uh, about how God is there for dysfunctional families, how God is there for skeptics and doubters, how God is there for addicts, how, how God is there for, for all kinds of different issues, those who've been let down by the church and so forth. This week, God for the broken, because heaven knows our world is broken, right? Look around. Our own hearts are broken. And so here's the beauty. I don't care if you're talking about your marriage or your career or your health or some part of your life. If we can be honest enough to admit... That certain parts of my life are broken. When I do that, when I say that, and I share that, and I acknowledge that, that opens up a place where the shaft of God's grace can come in. God came, God sent His Son to a broken world. But if you don't ever admit that you're broken, then you're just telling Jesus to pass by and help someone else because I'm good. But God is a God for the broken. Psalm 34 says this The Lord is close. To the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is a good word for some of us who are brokenhearted and crushed today. Jesus participates in our brokenness. When you're lonely, He knows loneliness. You're financially just—it's not working out. He, he's a guy who didn't have a place to lay his head. His, your family is messed up. Jesus' family was messed up. Someone's passed away. He knows the brokenheartedness of of loss and death and dreams that are lost. And some of you say, well, that's great that he, care, that, he, that he cares and he's close, but can he fix it? Does he have any power? Look at, look at that same chapter, Luke 7. Another incident in the same day in the life of Jesus. Look at verse 11. Here's what it says. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, which I guess means soon they would all be inane. Anyway, never mind. Stay, stay focused. So they go to the village of Nain, and a large crowd is following. Can you see the picture here? Jesus and his entourage. A bunch of people kind of following, see what's going to happen next. And they come into the city gates, and as they're about to go through, a funeral procession is coming out. All the cars with their lights on, little signs on top. Funeral coming out as he approached the village gate. And there was a young man who had died. We don't know how young. It's tragic. And he was a widow's only son this woman's already had so much loss in her life a man to a woman in that culture was livelihood was security was safety was hope was future and now her husband's dead and her only son is now dead this woman's in a bad way and there's a large crowd call following her from the village and it says in verse 13 when the Lord saw her can you see that moment his heart overflowed with compassion oh, don't cry he said she was probably crying. And then he walked over to the coffin. It's really just a board with a body on it. No, they probably fresh. They didn't have formaldehyde. Probably died that day. And the bearer stopped. He says, he touched it. He touched it. Young man, he says, I tell you to get up. And the dead boy sat up. And he began to talk. And that would be freaky. And then Jesus gave him back to her mother. Do you notice, first of all, what Jesus felt? You see that there? It says his heart went out to her. That word's translated from the Greek word splachna. We talk about that sometimes, aren't we? Splachna. You want to say it? Splachna. No, no, no. You've got to stick your tongue on it a little. Say it. Splachna. It sounds like someone's saying, oh, I ate some pizza. It's not a Splachna. And that's exactly what the word means. It means like inner guts and bowels that are just sort of rumbling around when you feel something. It's gut-wrenching and your intestines are twisted because it's not right or it hurts like I felt when I saw Sammy come out there in his grandpa's arms in a little white casket, this big, a casket that big. I just felt splachna in that moment when I saw it out of the church. That's what Jesus felt that day and that's what Jesus feels this day about whatever it is that is crushing your heart and breaking your heart. Jesus feels. Do you know that? Do you believe that? He doesn't not care. He feels and then, But what does he do? Well, he touches the body. That's a no-no. You're not supposed, you know, the, the rules were dead bodies are unclean. You touch it, you're unclean. Jesus says, "I don't care about your stupid religious rules." And he reaches out and he touches that dead boy, and that dead boy becomes a breathing body. It's not a horror flick, it's a joy flick. And that boy who was that woman's only hope was alive again. So she was alive again. He gave her back her son. He gave her back her hope and her life. And friends, that's what Jesus wants to do for you and for me. He heals people physically. He heals the dead once in a while on this side. Most of the time, He just waits till we all get in glory. We all rise up out of our graves and we're alive with Him forever in heaven. Once in a while, He does it with Lazarus and some others down here. But you know what? Most of the time, when I say He wants to do it for you and me, I'm saying that Jesus feels the pain we feel and you're like, oh, that's great. But you know what? He can raise the dead. He's Jesus is someone who's still alive. He's not just some guy on a book way back a long time ago he's still healing broken people today like he did that day he's still doing it right here right now for those who will trust and approach and come and when you're heading out sometimes in your worst moment where you're heading to the cemetery of your life where you're leaving the town of everything you've known and it's all going to go south you can meet Jesus right at the gate and he will change everything for you it can happen for you healing and hope we need that some of you are Pharisees because you think you don't need Jesus. But you also can be healed and find hope and know that it's a lot more than religious rule keeping. It's about a relationship with Him. Some of you are like that woman. You've lost your hope. I hope you'll let Jesus hand you your hope back. Give you life again. Let His power transform something and bring it to life. Some of you, some of you are like the boy. You're You're dead something died inside of you. Your emotions are fried because of what's happened. Your trust is dead. You feel like your future is dead. Your relationship with your parents is dead. Your marriage is dead. Stress is killing you. worry is killing you. Your self-esteem is dead. Your joy is gone. Your peace is gone. I don't know what it is, but friends, here's my good news for you today. Jesus can raise the dead. Jesus raises the dead. Not just the physically dead, but bring dead back to life in you right here and right now. God is a God for broken people. I love this statement by Lord Coggin. Here it is. When God intends to make something wonderful, He begins with a difficulty. And if He wants to make something very wonderful, well, then He begins with an impossibility. So I don't know what you've got in your hands, whether it's impossible or just difficult, but Jesus is going to do something. Because He's a God for the broken. Let me tell you a story. June 5th, 1944. A lot of you know that date in history, right? The 101st Airborne took off from England to head over to Normandy for what would be the one of the greatest invasions in in history, D-Day, right? D-Day. Two guys, Kenneth Moore and Robert Wright, here's pictures of them. They're medics. among the nearly 7,000 paratroopers who were dropped into France. when they landed, they got separated at 3 a.m. from their supplies and all they had were a few medic tools that they carried on their bodies. they missed their drop zone. They didn't see anyone, but they knew they were in Angleville, France. And pretty soon they started hearing bullets fly and they knew they were where they were supposed to be. And they knew what their jobs were because they started seeing soldiers get injured right away. They knew why they were there, to take care of the wounded. Robert Wright sized up the situation. He saw that old church sitting there right next to where they were fighting. And he says, that's where we're going to take our wounded. It'll make a great aid station. It's a 900-year-old church. He said, we'll use the pews to lay the wounded soldiers on, work on them, help them, let them rest and get better. So they took turns caring for the wounded. The other one would go out onto the battlefield and drag in some more wounded. They put red crosses on their arms, but red cross on that church. So when they went out there, the Germans were on one side of the field and the Americans were on the other side shooting at each other. But when Moore and Wright came out, both sides would stop shooting. They'd go out there as these medics in the middle of the field and they'd grab some wounded and cart them off, take them to the church, put them on those pews and the shooting would start back up. They did that all day long. At one point, they were carrying... For the wounded, a German burst into the church with a machine gun. He saw what was going on. He crossed himself and left. Later, three German officers walked in. When they saw Moore and right and how they were treating everyone, regardless of what uniform they happened to be wearing, they said, we'll get a doctor here to help you as soon as we can. 10.30 that night, church was packed. Every Every pew filled. All the stained glass shot out by the bullets. Here's a painting of that day. If you look at that church, it looks exactly like that. If you look on pictures online, you can go find it yourself. The church at Angleville. 36 hours after they started, 80 soldiers had been treated, several of them Germans, several Americans. Both men received a silver star. Wright received the three purple hearts for what he did in the war. Here's what I love about that story. If you go to Angleville today, it's, the church is still there in the very small village. And you know, as they were treating those patients, they'd take them in and they'd lay them down there on the pews. They'd drag those bleeding bodies and they'd just do the best they could to take care of them and heal them and get them back to health. And all that blood just soaked up right into those wooden pews. And after the war was over and the soldiers were long gone, that church made a decision not to replace those pews. In fact, here are pictures of those pews. They didn't cover up the blood. They didn't sand it down. In fact, they varnished over it to preserve it as a reminder to them and the world that they wanted their church to continue to be a place of peace and a place of healing, a place where people in their worst moments, in their bloodiest worst, injured and wounded and crippled and dying came for help and wholeness and healing and salvation. I think that's just about the best image of the church I can imagine. You need to know that's exactly what God has made this church to be. That's who we are. This is a church of the blood-stained pews. This is a church for people like us, the rest of us, all of us. Everyone around you bleeding and oozing from the wounds of life. It's tough. Life's tough. and We've got wounds, all of us, and we We found our way here by God's grace to this safe haven, this place where we can be real and raw and honest and open with the God of grace and truth. We do it all under the banner of the cross. And we are bit by bit until that day when the war is over and we are with Jesus in glory, we are finding our wholeness, we're finding our rest, we're finding our peace and we're getting healed. And that's what the church is. That's how God is. This is a church of the blood-stained pews because God is a God for the broken. Amen. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and for your faithfulness to us and that no matter how far we wander or who we are, what we've done, you love us, you know us. You know the whole deal about us and you're not phased. you love us still. So we thank you for that. We thank you for being a God who loves broken people and healing us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.